pray. Father, I thank you for this time that you've given to us this morning for your people to gather. Lord, I pray that you would open your word for us this morning. Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would understand this text about your son, Jesus Christ, for your glory, for our hope and faith and joy. Father, please be with me. Help me speak with clarity so that all might things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The beauty and relevance of the sufficiency of Jesus as our high priest is a hard sell in the church. It's almost seen as a peripheral issue, right? It's, it's important to know. It's important to remember or keep in mind, but it isn't immediately relevant or useful, we think. So we don't push that. We don't emphasize that so much. We normally behavior, right? That's what we talk about most of the time. Jesus is just really the gospel is the starting point that we're eventually going to leave behind to get to the real stuff. Or he just gets thrown in as an afterthought. And so what that teaches us over time is that um, the gospel is primarily to improve behavior. That's, that's its main function. We preach and teach then you and you improved, not Christ and him crucified. And there's a major difference. And the way the scriptures are written make me think that behavior is the peripheral issue. And it can only be correctly addressed when Christ crucified for sinners in spite of their behavior is the main thing. That's definitely the point in Hebrews, Jesus being an eternal high priest for us. So whether or not Hebrews feels relevant to us depends very much on what we think we need to hear the most and the most often as believers in this world. And so we talked last week about how the author wanted so much to keep teaching them about how Jesus was a high priest in the order of this man named Melchizedek because that would explain why his priesthood is so sufficient for us. But then he interrupted himself at the end of chapter 5 and on through chapter 6. He realized that he couldn't go on with all that because they were thinking, they were being lured away by this idea that what secured our salvation What gave us assurance, what made us endure was obedience to the law, good works, that the old covenant system held the answers for their lack of progress. The old covenant system had all the answers for their ongoing struggle with sin, even somehow for the persecution they had faced and were probably going to face again. And the author realizes that talking about just how amazing and sufficient of a high priest Jesus was would fall on ears that had grown dull to such a thing because they thought that way. It's not what they wanted to hear because it's not what they thought they needed to hear. So he stopped to issue an extremely heavy warning. And then he gave them the hope that God's promise and oath secure for us in Christ as the sure and steadfast anchor for our souls so that they wouldn't reject 
the sufficiency of Jesus or downplay him as their high priest any longer, but would crave to hear about it over and over and over again. Because chapter 7 reveals that it doesn't ultimately matter whether or not they're ready to hear it. They have to hear it. We have to hear this. So he picks the argument right back up this morning in chapter 7. Sometimes the most profound thing to say is the simplest thing that can be said. Jesus is better. He's better than everything. He's better than every other Savior. He's better than every other hope. He's just better. And I want to tell you about Him this morning, but I know full well in my own heart and in us the ways in which we doubt that the sufficiency of Jesus is this message we need to keep hearing. We desperately need to keep hearing that there has to be other food, as they thought, which is obvious at the end of chapter 5. They need other food for their spiritual diet, but that's our flesh lying to us. We can't listen to it. We can't let our flesh convince us. We can't let our desire to do right and to do good works as good as a thing as that may be, we can't let that desire convince us that we need to do something more than or other than know more deeply and personally the sufficiency of Jesus as our high priest. Since Jesus is alive forever, he never stops interceding for us. Meaning, not only is he the source of eternal salvation, but the hope that he gives and the covenant he mediates for all who have faith in him as their high priest is better than any alternative. Let me read the first 10 verses of Hebrews chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, and to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was, to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So priests are there to intercede for us before God. Remember, that's what the priest from Aaron did in the Old Testament. That's chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. That's what Jesus does for us as our high priest. And that is why we have a whole chapter here talking to us about how Jesus is a priest in the order of this man named Melchizedek, not Aaron, because that's an eternally superior priesthood, which is our only hope of eternal salvation. That's our only hope that salvation will last forever. 
is the priesthood of Jesus who is in the line of Melchizedek in this way. God will be holy forever. God will be holy forever. So there has to be a faithful high priest for us in the presence of God who will intercede for us forever. We need someone who is indestructible. We need someone who can withstand the blazing heat of God's holiness, who will never die, who will never need replaced. That means we need somebody better than a mere human being, somebody better than even Abraham or Levi. We need a priest like this man who showed up in Genesis 14 for just a few verses named Melchizedek. This king and priest that came out with bread and wine to greet Abram before he was Abraham when he had rescued his nephew Lot and cleaned out some pagan kings. The great patriarch father Abraham paid tithes to that great priest and king. Abraham honored him even though he was Abraham. That's the whole point in those first 10 verses, just how great this Melchizedek was. Abraham gave him a tenth of all the his spoils from the war, the conflict. But then technically, biblically speaking, that means Levi, the patriarch of Aaron's family, the father of all the Old Testament priests, also paid tithes to Melchizedek because Abraham was his great-grandfather. So the greatest man in the history of Israel, and in a sense the world, because God's promise first came to him, he paid tribute and tithes to this priest and king named Melchizedek. And so in a sense, Levi, who was in Abraham's blood when he met Melchizedek, paid tithe and tribute to him also. So in God's reckoning, the whole line of Old Testament priests paid tribute and tithes to this priest, Melchizedek. Now, that all seems on the surface... Right? If you come in here today suffering, struggling, that all seems on the surface foreign at best and maybe even irrelevant. All these names and details, right? We, we come expecting, what, what does this have to do with my life? What, what does that mean for me? That's how we approach, unfortunately. That's what they were probably asking, the audience. We're suffering, we're struggling, but the purpose is so pastoral. These words teach us things we need to know about who Jesus is and about the Word of God. We need somebody like this. We need somebody great like this, a king of righteousness, a king of peace, one that is high and lifted up, one who won't fail. Melchizedek's priesthood wasn't based on a genealogy like those from Levi, so his priesthood has no beginning and it has no end. In that sense, he's like whom? Jesus Christ. His greatness is evident in that he received tithes from Abraham and technically Levi, but also because his priesthood didn't have an ending. Levitical priests were constantly replaced. They all died. Melchizedek, however, is a living priest. There's no genealogy for him like all the other priests. This may have been a pre-incarnate version of Christ. But either way, the point here is, this is the kind of priest that we need. We need a high priest between us and God like this, because all the Old Testament priests in the line of Levi could not get us the perfection we need as human beings to stand before God. We don't just need our sins washed away. We need a gift. We need perfect righteousness to offer up to Him to be acceptable to God. 
the verses 11 and 12. Now, if perfection, you see that? So notice that's what's at issue here. All right. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, which means it wasn't, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. All the Old Testament priests in the Old Testament system could ultimately do is point us forward to the one superior priest, the one in the order of Melchizedek, the one who sacrificed of himself and whose eternal prayers would guarantee eternal salvation for all of God's people. The law and its priestly system were not going to make anyone perfect enough to stand before God. It was inadequate. It wasn't going to usher in the new creation. It wasn't going to wash away sin. It wasn't going to remove the curse. And it was never given to do those things. It was given to point to the fact that for us to stand right with God, we were going to need a priest to do it for us in our place, give us that right standing to us as a gift of completely unmerited grace. That was our only hope. Well, imperfect human priests who are born imperfect and die worse are not going to accomplish all that for us by killing some bulls and goats and by not picking up sticks on the Sabbath. We need something much greater than some ceremony and morality to stand acceptable and forgiven before God. But the presence of priests, even the ones that were just there to paint a picture and point forward to the true priest, even that means that God has acted to solve this problem. We can't do that. We can't figure this out or solve this problem. God has to do it for us, and God has. He ordained a priest, his son, who stands forever between us and God, perfect and merciful and able to forgive. That doesn't mean that Jesus loves us, but God doesn't. That's not what's happening here. God the Father ordained the old covenant priesthood and he ordained the priest of our salvation. Then he sent us that priest. All of that is the love of God. Rescue us from the wrath of God in a way, in such a way that his holy justice is vindicated and his glory is exalted. We get the salvation in that. We are given all this truth about priests and the priesthood of Jesus, first of all, because we need saved from the wrath of God. Jesus was given as a priest to do just that in a certain line, in a certain way. That's why we have 13 and 14. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. See, Jesus can be a high priest because the law has changed. The Old Testament law no longer binds the people of God together or stands over us in any way. Jesus has been ordained by God because a new covenant has come. And it doesn't have terms that say a high priest can only come from the tribe of Levi. Jesus is descended from the tribe of Judah. God's eternal design, even when he put the Levitical priesthood in place, had always been to bring Jesus from the tribe of Judah to be the perfect high priest. The law and its priestly system were never meant to save, never meant to make perfect. They were a shadow preparing us 
for Jesus. Look at verse 15. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Since Melchizedek was greater than Abraham and Levi... And since a priest like Melchizedek was prophesied from the beginning in verses 15 through 17, it's apparent that in God's eternal design, perfection was never going to come through the Levitical priesthood. That's verse 18. The law and the priesthood are bound together. A change in the one means a change in the other. God planned all along for a new priesthood to arrive and become ultimate. And because it has now, the law that went with the Old Testament priests is no longer in force. The Bible talks about this a lot. It's like it wants us to know this. And by the way, Hebrews doesn't limit the law not being in force only as it pertains to the priesthood and the sacrificial system as though the law can be cut up into different categories. No, no, no. It's clear here. The old covenant law and the old covenant priesthood are intertwined and if one has passed away, therefore so has the other one. The new covenant between God and humans is not merely a readministration of the old covenant. It's entirely different, completely new, completely superior. Beloved, the Old Testament is still authoritative scripture for you and I. It is the word of the living God. But it has to be read in light of the new covenant and the new priesthood which have arrived in Jesus Christ. The old covenant is not our covenant. We're not under it as though it were our covenant and, and covenant and all the promises in it are yes in Jesus Christ not in us some of us read ourselves into the Old Testament like we're Israelites when that covenant was never made with us we abide under the new covenant under the law of Christ which we find is not burdensome so don't pick up a burden you don't need to carry don't be burdened by the weight of the law of Moses and the old covenant. Why go back to an imperfect system to find the key to fulfillment or forgiveness or blessing if the yoke isn't easy and the burden isn't light? It isn't Jesus. But that's what they were considering. They were that, That's what they were considering. And again, like we talked about last week, it's met with the same... The, the writer of Hebrews is so much more um, clinical in his extended argument, but it, it has the same spirit as Galatians. Why would you do this? Who has bewitched you? Why would you go back? That's what they were considering. We, however, we must look to Christ. Jesus is our high priest. He mediates our covenant with God. The law, that whole system has been set aside in verses 18 and 19 for two reasons. First, it was weak and useless to do what we needed it to do. Make us perfect so that we could be reconciled with God. The law cannot sanctify. It cannot make someone perfect. Not even over time if they really try hard to follow it. The law makes nothing perfect. Stop using it to do that. 
If, if it can, why is Jesus there as a high priest for us that washes away our sins and gives us his righteousness? It's not 50% his and 50% mine. It's 100% his or there's 0% salvation. It's the first reason it's been set aside. It can't sanctify. It can't make us perfect. The second reason that's been set aside is because a better hope has been introduced by the high priest of this new covenant through which we do draw near to God. You see that? That's the difference. If there's a better hope, why cling to something inferior? Why do that? Why keep trying to get close to God by trying really hard to be a better person? The new hope this better high priest gives us is so sure it had an oath attached to it. Unlike the old covenant priests, they weren't perfect and they died. So why would you attach an oath to them? Look at verse 20. And it was not without an oath for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Jesus Christ was made a priest by God's oath in verse 21, quoting Psalm 110 verse 4, by the way. And in verse 22, this, the word of the Lord, his oath, makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. You see that stacked on top of each other? Better hope, better covenant. That is what Jesus Christ gives. Look at 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. He holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. And consequently, in verse 25, as a consequence, the writer says, of the fact that his priesthood never ends because he'll never die... He is able to save to the uttermost, completely, even the most struggling ones among us, those who draw near to God through him since. Why is he able to do that? Why is he able to save to the uttermost? He always lives to make intercession for them. He never stops being our priest. There's never a moment where your salvation hangs on anything other ultimately than the intercession of Jesus for you because he's always alive and is always being a priest. See, your salvation, your hope, your anchor is up there behind the veil, already in the presence of God. That's already been attained by Christ. You see, when we gather here and we sing and we preach and we pray, the attempt is not to bring you into the presence of God. Jesus has brought you into the presence of God. The point is that we would open our eyes and realize that by grace, by the work of our high priest, by his blood, by his righteousness, that's where we are. All believers endure to the end and live forever because Jesus is our high priest. And he's always interceding for us to do so. You remember Jesus talking to Peter? Satan is demanded to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. So that your faith may not fail. And when, not if. 
not when Jesus is praying. And when you have returned, strengthen your brothers. So, beloved, when you're reading through Hebrews and you get to chapter 6 and it terrifies you, you just remember, nobody this priest is praying for is ever falling away. It turns out that my faithful perseverance to the end, which is what Hebrews says must take place for me to be saved, It turns out that my faithful perseverance will require the intercession of Jesus on my behalf. It will never come about by my obedience, by my effort. That's not what secures my salvation. So the second reason we're given these truths about Jesus as our high priest is because our future salvation on the final day depends on the active work of Christ for us forever and ever. Not just his work in the past, or on our decisions and commitments in the past. Christ is able to save forever because he always lives to make intercession for us, which means we would not be saved forever if he's not interceding for us forever, would we? Our salvation is not a joint project. Jesus is the priest of it. Our salvation is eternally secure Because our priest is eternally indestructible. That's why we believe this. That's why we cling to this with all our might. And we'll never compromise on it for an inch. That's why we needed a priest that was so much greater than any human being. That's just his point here. He's trying to tell them who they have. Look at 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. All of that he is. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself. You see that... Your, your daily struggle with sin does not need to keep being atoned for. When we doubt and fear and disbelieve, that's what he's talking about in 6. That's crucifying him over and over and over again because we don't believe the once for all was sufficient. And he's trying to tell them, stop doing that. Stop it. No atonement now needs to be made for you. Nothing can be added to what Christ did once for all including what I'm going to do next Thursday. Right? Listen, if that's not the truth, there is no covering for it because I can't cover for it. You'd say, well, doesn't that encourage you to go out and sin? No, I, I, who needs help? Right? I mean, why, why do we talk that way? That's just going to call Okay, then you come back to me in 10 days and tell me how you've not sinned in the last 10 days and we'll talk. And the first thing we'll talk about is that you're a liar. Okay, so why do we do this? Right? We, we, aren't, we aren't excusing our sinfulness. It's wicked and vile. But there's a high priest that has covered it once for all. For the law appoints men in their weakness, verse 28, as high priest, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. The sovereign God 
who never lies, never breaks promises. The deity of Jesus, the perfection of Jesus as a human being, his perfect, sufficient, once-for-all sacrifice, have all secured his indestructible priesthood for us forever. Forever. That is the source of Christian hope. You you see, what he's driving for here is hope. Because they don't have any. It's better hope because it's a better covenant that this high priest mediates. We're, We're missing out on the salvation Jesus died and rose again to obtain when we doubt that it will be sufficient for me today, tomorrow, yesterday. You see? And beloved, through this hope, notice what he's... Through this hope, we keep drawing nearer and nearer to our God in verse 25. Through this hope that we have because Jesus is our high priest. We we, we don't draw nearer and nearer to God the cleaner we get. We don't draw nearer and nearer to God through our works. We draw nearer and nearer to God through the intercession of our high priest for us. Believe in him. Trust in him. Look to him. Hear the text. Keep drawing near to God. Always draw near. So don't just, don't talk about salvation only in past tense terms. As if I did something once when I made a decision and then Christ did something once when he died and rose again and that's all there is to it. I I think there's a, a, a better way to think through that. I am being saved today by the eternal intercession of Jesus in heaven for me because of what he did for me once and for all. He's my high priest always interceding, which means I'm always in need of him. Does that make sense? All the time. All the time. Jesus, when are you going to reach a point where Jesus is like, I no longer need to pray for that guy. He's got it. She's got it. They're good. They don't need me anymore. We, we are living like that's the day we're trying to get to. Again, the point is not so. Go sin. Who cares? No, 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 no. Beloved, it, you're going to need a high priest every day of your life. So just enjoy it. Believe him. The sacrifice he gave is once for all, but it continues forever in its sufficiency for me. It's always there, always perfect. Isn't that, that helps us understand Paul's statements like in 1 Corinthians 15, this gospel that's of first importance, we received it, we stand on it, and we're currently being saved by it. Not because it's incomplete, but because it's so sufficient, it saves us all the time. He intercedes for us. In Romans 8, 34, he is our advocate in 1 John 2, 1. And we need to draw near to God through him. In verse 25, that verb in Greek speaks of present action, not a single action in the past. Always drawing near. The author's point there is that if we aren't always drawing near to God through Jesus, we won't have any context for understanding what it means to be saved by Jesus. We're to increase in our awareness of this. 
and our faith in this, our hope in this. God saves those who are continually drawing near to Him. We're not talking about getting saved over and over again. That's impossible. We're talking about our increasing uh, increasing our awareness of what Jesus has done for us as our high priest. We are always drawing near through Him. Our Christian lives are a pursuit of God through Christ by which we draw near to Him. Lay other goals aside. Lay other goals aside to know Him. Also, Paul, in Philippians 3, through His suffering, that's how you get to know Him. Through His resurrection, that's how you get to know Him. The Gospel. Draw near to God through Jesus. That's what devotions should be for, our quiet time. That's what Sunday school should be for. That's what our gatherings should be for. That's what Bible study should be for. That's what marriage is for. That's what school is for, life is for. Stop trying so hard to be a Christian and start drawing near to Jesus. Walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's not the other way around. Jesus is our high priest so that we'll draw near, so that we'll get close. This passage is God calling us. As Hebrews begins to continue here, God calling us to draw near to him. He wants us close to him. Since Jesus is alive forever, he never stops interceding for us. Meaning, not only is he the source of eternal salvation, but the hope he gives and the covenant he mediates for all who have faith in him are better than any alternative. Have you drawn near to Christ? Will you draw near to him this morning? Draw near to God through him. I pray that you have. I pray that you are. And if you've never come to Jesus for your salvation, I pray that you will now. Or if you've already done so, that when we sing and I'm down front, you'll come and tell me. Coming forward is not what saves. Jesus is what saves. But you are welcome here to come and pray, to join our church, to tell us you want to be baptized because you've been saved. We're going to sing. I'll be down front, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy this morning. We praise you and thank you for the sufficiency of Jesus, our high priest, who is indestructible and therefore continues forever. We thank you for him, for what he's accomplished for us, for who he is for us and will be for us always and has always been. So, Lord, be with us now. Turn our hearts to him. We pray and ask in the name of this priest, Jesus Christ. Amen.
seated and take the Lord's Supper together. gather here for this this morning to take the Lord's Supper and the bread and the cup that signify the broken body and spilled blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We proclaim his death once more together by remembering what he did to accomplish salvation for us. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11 verses 23 and 24, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jim, would you pray for the bread? Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to this table. Lord, you're all-powerful, almighty. Lord, you didn't need us, but you loved us so much that you had your body broken for us. Lord, as we come before this table now, help us to remember that, to give all glory and honor to you. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Father, we thank you for the broken body of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for what his sacrifice accomplishes for all who believe in him. We thank you, Lord, for his suffering, for your mercy in it. And we take this bread in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. David, you pray for the cup. Father, Lord, as we come before you once again, we come with praise on our hearts for your love, your mercy, and your grace. The sacrifice that you've you made for the remission of our sins, Father, and sending your only begotten Son, we come now to acknowledge and to remember this precious, pure, righteous blood that was shed for the for our sins, Father, through the cleansing of that, Father, you can look upon us, we're covered by Jesus' blood. We've come to acknowledge that and praise you for your sacrifice and praise Jesus for his as well. We pray it might uh, be evident to those that are we encounter each day that we are your children. We ask these favors in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>
Father, we praise you for the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of his blood, there is no remission of sins. Though we were once far away, this blood, his blood has brought us near. And so, Father, we praise you and thank you this morning, your church together. In his name, Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for coming this morning. Once again, everybody, I just want to remind you before we sing our closing song, the deacons will be at the exits for the benevolence offering. God bless you.